Welcome to Cinema Bushido. Uh, I am your host, Matthew Whitaker, and with me today is Mr. Uh, Stephen Chow. How's it going, Stephen? It's going very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm very happy to have you. Um, tonight we're talking about a very cool movie, a beautiful movie called Harakiri from 1962. Uh, it was directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Uh, he also did the fantastic movie Samurai Rebellion with my man, Mr. Mifune. Um, it's starring Tatsuya Nakadai as, uh, what is his name? Hanshiro Tsugumo. Um, very cool character. He's probably best known for playing the grinning uh, weasel gunman uh, Unosuke, right, in Yojimbo. Ah, okay. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Thank you for pointing that out. No problem. Yeah, I was very uh, when I looked that up. Uh, I, I knew his face, of course, but mm. I didn't this this gruff bearded look that he has in this this rundown Ronin compared to the the sly little weasel <laughs> in Yochimbo. Yeah, um, it was it was hard for me to figure out. You know, I'm like I, I know him really well, and so yeah, once I looked, and I'm like, oh shit, of course it's him. Uh, it's mm. what uh, Lee called uh, dude looks like a lady, right? Walks like a lady. <laughs> or Aerosmith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my attempt yeah. at, uh, at Aerosmith. But uh, in, in Yojimbo, in Yojimbo, he's so sort of like slick and he, he, he's so kind of handsome and perfectly, uh, you know, per- his p- appearance is so perfect. And in this, he's so, so rugged, isn't he? It's so different. Right. Right. You know, I never liked him. In fact, I'd go further than that. I hated him because he, he had the look on his face in Yojimbo that um, he's in on his own little inside joke that we don't have any part of like just having that gun it made him seem so i don't know just sly but uh, also um i don't know i think weasley i've said it like three times i think of a weasel Mm. yeah yeah but yeah and then in this he looks freaking badass he's he's got like the the squinty colombo eyes and (laughs) (laughs) he does awesome yeah yeah he does So, what did you think i i liked it very much actually i i think you're right um it's a beautiful film. It's a very precisely made film. It's very deliberate. Um, it's effectively it's a mystery. Um, so this character turns up at the beginning of the movie, um, saying that he wants to ki- kill himself. He wants to commit harakiri um, in this sort of lord's uh, house, and the the mystery is that recently someone else did exactly the same thing. And then as the movie progresses, you find out why he really, really wants to do this. Um, and it's told in flashbacks, which is really, really compelling. But then it has a, a lot of depth to it as well. Uh, it gives you a lot of history uh, of that sort of Edo period. And it's also a story of social injustice um, and, you know, what honor really means. And then, of course, you just got some good old fashioned sword fighting and bloodshed. So I thought it was fantastic, actually. Yeah, I, I I really liked that there weren't a lot of like uh, sets. You know, the they a lot of it happens in that little courtyard of him talking to the the people about his history and uh, you know messing with them a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 really really well filmed. Um, uh, some of the most amazing um, like fight sequence stuff I'd ever seen. And you said it, I'd never. I don't think I'd ever seen a movie that gave such a unique take on what it was like to be uh, a jobless or, you know, uh, um, a masterless samurai, excuse me. So, yeah, and, and, and just like you could be a total badass and you could have tons of skills, but the whole fact that your clan is now gone means that you're just a piece of shit, you know? 
Yeah, it's actually the what I was thinking while I was watching it is it's the opposite of Yojimbo because in Yojimbo you've got this character who is basically living a really exciting life, just moving from adventure to adventure. Whereas this gives you a kind of historical, what feels like historical accuracy, which is that the character is penniless and he's got all of these responsibilities. He's got、uh, a daughter and a son-in-law and a grandson, and he's unable to support them, and so he. Goes from being this man of honor,、uh, this man who's concerned with his appearance, to being just a desperate, desperate man,、um, and it's a, it's just a really interesting spin on on that whole samurai genre. In fact, it really spins it on its head. It says that the samurai code is a facade, effectively, and you know someone who is、um, really honorable will. Break from that in order to survive, rather than uphold their appearance and and die with honor. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, you said it. Everybody in the E、uh, clan, they were all a bunch of douchebags. <laughs> yeah, it was just like wow, like no honor.、Um, more than that, like the the the、um, gall to go and just completely humiliate people that they feel could be threatening their way. You're like, oh shit, what if too many people come and they try to do this same thing where they. They take a handout from us or something like that. It was—it's a very—they're very cruel people, and it, it's one of those classic things that they're—they're they're on top, you know. They're—they're they're the the top of their game. They're loaded. They're clean. They're happy, and of course, yeah, coming down on the little guy. And they absolutely want to keep it that way, and and they're hiding behind their honor. They—they they use the the rituals of honor. Um, the expectations, you know, what you have to appear like to be honourable in order to basically justify the way they behave and the way they treat others. It's it's maintaining the status quo through rit- ritualised cruelty. Yeah, the first time I watched this,、um, the first time in this rewatch, I'd watched this a long time ago, and、um, I thought it was just so clever. But then I watched it again.、Um, You know, probably a couple weeks ago, and then I watched it a second time after that. And the first time, I was kind of outraged、mm. um, at that that our hero、um, Hanshiro didn't just murder everybody out of the gate, like、um, yeah, forgetting samurai honor. I'm you know driven by action and revenge, and I'm like, what the fuck? Because you know, in this,、um, he he doesn't up to the point that he's there about to you know. Murder himself in front of everybody. He hasn't done anything wrong, you know.、Uh, he's challenging them, and up to that point, he's sitting there. All he's done is is removed hair from people. I mean,、yeah. the top knot is pretty important, obviously. But I was I was pissed that he hadn't murdered the, all three of those those samurai. I was just like, what the fuck? Come on! Like in a modern movie, there would have been so much blood, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, he would have like instead he would have reached in and he would have pulled out their hearts or something like that. Oh, here's your friend, you know, something like that. So the second time I, I took it from the place of okay, he's an honorable man and he's actually trying to keep it real. Like if you are honorable people, you're gonna fucking apologize for what you did, even though we all consider it wrong. You know,、mm. you're gonna apologize and we're gonna move on from there. And I'll still go ahead and kill myself because I have nothing left to live for. But instead, he went out with a bang. Yeah, I mean it's it's very clever because he's sort of playing chess with them, isn't he? He's trying to get them to reveal one actually the full story, what what they really have done to his son-in-law, in order for him to dis- sort of decide what he's going to do,、um, and in order to sort of just push them into a position where they have to acknowledge their dishonor. So it's very very clever. It it is about revenge, 
but it's revenge that's gained not necessarily through violence but forcing someone else to acknowledge that they are actually dishonorable that what they stand for is totally false exactly yeah exactly um and i thought that was really important um just the idea that if they would have said no we did this we admit we did it but we did it from a place of honor he would have just been like well shit okay give me a sword and let me go ahead and stab my guts out and you can chop my head off and let's move on yeah but instead they were like nah you know we've you're a dick too we're just gonna go ahead and murder you <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah he's like well well hold on a minute uh, if that's the case yeah yeah yeah, because he just wants them to say sorry. That's that's the only thing he wants them to do so that when he commits Harakiri, when he disembowels himself and dies, he can tell his son-in-law that they apologized. Yeah. That's his exactly. sole motivation. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Um, so did you have... Uh, of course you do. Let's let's go with your first favorite scene. It's kind of easy. There There are so many great scenes in this, but the one that immediately sticks out is the, the scene... Um, now let me get the character's name correct here. So it's it's the it's the son anyway, the son-in-law um, who c- commits suicide. But so basically, he's arrived at this place, and he has appeared at this lord's, uh, uh, basically his castle, his palace, and said, "I want to commit suicide here," hoping that they will just give him some money and send him away, um, because this has been happening around Edo, and they decide to take a really hard line with him and so they put him in a situation where he actually has to commit ritual suicide um, but not only that he has sold his swords in order to support his family so he's just got bamboo swords and so just to make it even worse they make him disembowel himself using a bamboo sword and so you have the the counselor the person left in charge of this palace staring at him in utter fascinated horror um while this poor guy tries to stab his guts out using using a bamboo sword um and then finally he has to kind of lean down onto the ground with the sword pointed into his uh, stomach um and of course there's the his his second the uh expert swordsman standing over him with just a stone face saying i won't i won't cut your head off which is his job as the second until you've really disemboweled yourself and it's it's a scene of utter horror and ritualized torture that's hidden behind this facade of honorable conduct and it's just one of the most utterly horrendous things i've ever seen not so much that it's violent because there isn't a lot of you know blood and guts on the screen but just the 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 horror of it the thought of it what what's happening is just uh is tr- truly truly disgusting and yet um, it was pretty graphic you know yeah. like i felt like the way they were watching and everything this could have been like a prequel to like saw or you know one of those movies yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. early thinking of like let's do extreme cruelty and let everybody watch and in dull fascination it was that was fucked up yeah because because you've got the as i say you've got the counselor who can't take his eyes off of it you know he's just horrified but he can't look away and then as i say there's uh there's the the master swordsman who's called hikokoro uh standing above him refusing to kill him um until he's properly disemboweled himself and then you go you know you go around all these faces and they have all these different expressions and some of them are smiling you know in uh i don't know in satisfaction it's uh 
it's truly horrible. But but also it provides you with some of history, um, which is another really interesting thing about this film. So um, the the character Hikokoro talks about what the um, the ritual of Harakiri has become and he said it's become like a sham of what it used to be so it used to be that you had to disembowel yourself properly before you had your head cut off and then it has become just reaching for a sword and at this point it might even be just showing that you're reaching for a fan in place of the sword but he's like but here we're going to do it properly and then you have this just terrible terrible scene yeah he had to actually uh, bite his own tongue off to make it look like he'd really disemboweled himself because the the bamboo sword wasn't working which yeah. was an extra like hit against his own you know honor that he couldn't fulfill this one honorable thing that he was he was willing to do after even after all of that yeah yeah they're saying is it resourceful or is it dishonorable and they can't quite decide later on and it, right. it, yeah and it's really shocking as well because obviously he just the the sort of drama of the scene is that he thinks that they're going to um well first of all he thinks that they're going to really um make him part of their retinue and they kind of trick him so they're really horrible to him so they know that they're going to kill him or make him kill himself but they say to him you know we're going to invite you into our retinue and and you can become one of us and then they say well actually we're not going to do that because we know you're an honorable man and an honorable man would never back out of saying he's going to commit harakiri so we're going to let you commit harakiri so it's really like it's not just physical torture it's psychological torture and and the whole scene really um completely justifies why our hero uh, hanshiro then comes and causes them all kinds of trouble it was the taco bell seven layer burrito of <laughs> layer layers of cruelty <laughs> yeah. they de- they really deserve what's coming to them they do mm. that's awesome mm. Okay, well, my favorite uh, is pretty easy. Um, I thought it could have been your first one. Totally wasn't, which is great because yeah. I get to talk about it. But it's the um, battle in the field yes. with uh, Hiko- Hikakuru or uh, Hikokuro. But yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Um, uh, it's done in this field. Uh, the camera angles are really nice as they show uh, different postures of how they're holding their swords. And it's a really interesting fight because... Up to this point, you we don't know what level Hanshiro is at, and it isn't until they get out there that you, you realize, well, holy shit, you know he's gonna he's gonna win. He's this yeah. isn't just some some loser that you know has been you know painting fans and stuff like that. This is a, this guy's a warrior and a real one. So it's really neat. Um, he uses the wind as his, as an advantage, as he points out later on, and he even does something interesting with his katana that he he breaks uh, Hikokuro's. Um, katana and forces him to use his uh his second shorter sword yeah. so i thought that was all just really cool and and the wind blowing it was a it was beautiful that may have been the highlight of the whole movie is just watching that exchange yeah and it, it's so atmospheric isn't it as you say with the wind blowing the grass just flowing in the wind and the the, the hills are just black behind them uh, it's it's fantastic, and then there's a bit which I he may he does this move later on, uh, but Hanshiro he put, he crosses his arms across his chest, uh, and it I always I felt like it's like he's halfway through doing the three amigos salute, you know he's yeah. sort of stuck in that position. Um, it's yeah, it's totally fantastic. I thought it looked badass. It made me think of like something that he you know learned in battle. It, it reminded me of uh, in Highlander the way. Connor knew to hold his katana above his head, you know, in that 
Highlander way, so, even though that wasn't very realistic. When he, you know, that meant he was going to chop his head off. Yeah. So in this case, we knew when he was crossed that it was like he's going to get the death blow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was like a sort of sign. You know, now I'm stepping it up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Now, give me your second favorite scene. Okay. Let me think about this. Uh, okay. I'm, this is, a, I guess, another slightly serious scene. It's when um, the body of um, the son-in-law gets returned to Han Shiro. Um, and, you know, this is all about, as I was saying, uh, real honor versus kind of fake honor. So they, they bring the body back and then they make him look at the uh, the bamboo swords on the surface just to say, you know, that we haven't stolen his real swords. You know, this this was actually the sword that he brought with him. But it's also to tell him, you know, we've done something really awful to this guy and we want you to know. And then they kind of laugh about it and drop the swords on his body. And then the daughter, who I think his name is Mihu, uh, falls on the body and weeps and everything else. And then um, Hanshiro has this kind of Schindler's List moment where he says, he, you know, oh, my God, he sold his own swords to support our family and I couldn't do that. And then he gets out his own sword and he's like, I, I hung on to this ridiculous thing for no reason. It was the one thing I could have gotten rid of that I had left that, you know, could have provided money to save my grandson because his grandson is really ill at this point and he sort of starts smashing it against the desk and I thought that was really powerful um you know that we have these symbols of of honor um but they really are just symbols and in this story real honor when it comes down to it when you've got nothing left is almost being prepared to get rid of the symbols of your honor to pay for your to look after the people that you love, the people that you care about. So I just thought that was a really powerful, really dramatic scene. And, and you also have that the tension there as well, because before that, uh, the son-in-law has has gone off to try and get some money to come back to pay for a doctor. And he's told them he's going to a money lender, but he hasn't actually done that. He's gone to uh, to the house of, it's E, isn't it, to to pretend that he wants to kill himself to get money. And so you have this tension of them waiting for him to come back. So I just thought that was just really dramatic and stood for kind of what the movie was about in many ways. Yeah, the dying baby, the sick the sick wife, uh, yeah. Tash's daughter. It was all just this build-up. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm glad you picked two very serious scenes because, of course, so my, my, my second favorite scene, um, which could easily, the first one is just so unbelievable. And if, if you've never seen this movie, it's worth watching just for that scene. But the second scene, um, so this movie starts out, uh, it, it plays a little bit of music and they start giving some history of what happened with, uh, you know, this number of samurai who became masterless and became ronin and and this how this is sort of uh, situated in history but the whole time they're focusing in on this uh samurai battle armor yeah at the at the e clan like headquarters hq <laughs> anyway so it starts out and you get this feeling like it's a it's a very um like a very mythical kind of awesome um scene that we're seeing this this armor, this beautiful place. Mm. Um, so my favorite scene is we get to the end. After everything we've talked about, we know that these people have no honor. And th- there's a great final battle. I mean, the whole final battle is the scene I'm talking about. But in particular, um, he, he he doesn't kill himself. He says, fine, since you guys are a bunch of 
you know, bitches, I'm just going to go ahead and, and kill as many of you as I can, which he pulled out earlier. He said, listen, I will really kill myself if you give me satisfaction on mm-hmm. this. And what, you know, I won't have to hurt any of your men. And, yeah. you know, the the boss was just like, nah, fuck you. So it was really funny. He goes and he just starts, you know, doing a really great job of, you know, keeping himself alive and slashing as many people as he can. It's a really long, drawn out, but not boring. It's really interesting because it's not, we get so used to the Zatoichis, right? And so used to the lone wolf and cubs or even Yojimbo that he can't really be hurt. Yeah. They're invulnerable in some way. They're just going to slash everybody to death. I mean, Zatoichi can kill 10 people within a foot of him without, you know, any trouble. But this was very realistic in my mind that this man was desperate and he, he was very skilled and he'd been in war and a lot of these people hadn't. So he's fighting his way. He, he even gets shot at. He jumps out a window. He's jumping through walls. He's trying to get back to where the boss is. I, I imagine that was his his final thing. I'm just going to stab the boss as my last, you know, effort on this earth. Yeah. Get out of here. But he sees that armor and, you know, he knows now that they, these guys are a joke. And he goes and he, he he has no reverence for this armor. He picks it up and he just throws it across the room <laughs> like in the big pile of shit. Yeah. Oh, it was my favorite. I was just like, I wanted to see the look on the boss's face when he saw his precious armor just scattered across the floor being treated like, you know, a, a, a crash dummy. Yeah, exactly. Or like, it's like he's throwing a garbage can on the ground, isn't it? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was great. That was my favorite. I'm just like, yes, you motherfuckers. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. And that, that represents their ancestors, doesn't it? So he's just like saying, fuck you and fuck everyone before you. <laughs> yeah. It made me think of the Lady Vengeance thing with the, the tofu and then the cake. You know, I yeah. love the full circle thing that certain movies do to, you know, bring us back and hit something home like that. Yeah, because at the beginning, you the, the opening sequence is these very slow pans through the house, which starts with the, the armor and all the smoke around it and it's this really important mystical thing and as you say at the end of the movie he just throws it on the ground like it's a pile of shit and uh, yeah yeah and to to anybody um to anybody watching we see all of that and we do have some satisfaction as i I told you i did but then it's ripped away from me because he does some very shitty stuff he forces he, he, he pretends that this this samurai this ronin wasn't able to do any he just went ahead and killed himself and these other guys died of you know of they all had the flu and you watch them slowly clean everything up and put it back to its pristine state uh where you know this big fake this facade you know that that just it's so annoying you get to the end and they got away with it all really yeah he he made his point to us but they are just going to keep being shitty dishonorable people forever mm yeah, that was a really hard ending because, as you say, you have gotten a certain element of satisfaction in the sense that he has proved beyond, beyond any doubt that none of these people have any honor at all. And not only do they not have any honor, they're not even really very skilled. I mean, he took all of their top knots. He made them all look really, really stupid. Um, and then, as you say, there's this very realistic battle scene where he's running around in the, the house. It's, it's like a, it's called a daimyo house. And... He's not able to kill all of them, but he does a hell of a lot of damage with a lot of people. And he's really desperate and he's bleeding. And you do get to the point where you think maybe, just maybe he's going to make it. He's going to, you know, kill the boss. And he's like staggering through walls. And then and and then finally he staggers through this one wall. And then there's like 20 guys all just stand up and draw their swords. And you think, oh, no, he's not got a chance in hell here. Um, and then, yeah, they pull out all of their guns and he decides, well, 
enough's enough and he commits harakiri um but there's also this thing isn't there where the boss is sitting inside the house and you can hear all these terrible sounds of people fighting and being killed and he's just sitting there looking nervous in this empty building which just reveals him to be an utter coward and then you get to the end and they rake over all the sand and they get rid of all the bloody sheets and things and it's it's that the you know victory or his history is 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 written by the victors um and that's what's happened here and he's his plight isn't even told in a in their diary because the story is kind of framed by the councillor the leader of this clan um writing his diary entry so yeah it's a sad ending it's a spectacular ending and you feel satisfied and then it's taken away from you it makes me think of like um the japanese put a lot of value into honor we all know that in all these movies but it makes me think of how there are like people who are overly against drugs and you find out that they're like closet meth addicts yeah. <laughs> and there's people who are really against like all, all sorts of child molestation and Catholic then priests. Child. yeah yeah perfect catholic priests it's that same idea like if you're forced into a box in this box is all about a particular virtue there mm. seems to be a lot of people that have gravitated there that don't have that virtue yeah it's a, it's a really really interesting take as i was saying on this because it is basically taking this whole genre which is all about following the samurai code and it completely turns it on its head and reveals it for what it is and it sort of reminded me because uh, our good friend lee often compares these kind of movies to westerns it sort of reminded me of like unforgiven or the shootist in the sense that it's unglamorizing this genre is showing you a kind of perhaps more historically accurate version of of what we've all been enjoying or perhaps it just gets us to question this thing that we've all been enjoying to think about it a little bit more to think about what it really means um it's it's very interesting you know speaking of unforgiven aside from the most beautiful ending where he just murders everybody yeah. um it the most memorable scene in that is the the kid who wanted to be some badass and he actually does have to kill somebody and he's describing it and he's describing how miserable it was. So, yeah, you said it. It's a very interesting um, uh, deconstruction of the the typical, you know, trope of you know guns, gunslinger or you know uh, samurai or whatever. Yeah, because this guy, he's not. Again, he's not a Yojimbo type of character. He's not sort of killing people casually. He's someone who used to be a soldier, has developed a settled family life. And then his comfort has gradually been taken from him through poverty and then through the people he loved being sort of very, very severely wronged. So where we meet him at the beginning of the movie, because the movie's told in flashbacks, he's a man who's totally cold because everything he cares about has been stripped away from him. Um, and so that's the way, you know, why he is the way he is when he's presented. It's not that he's this really cool, cold-blooded, character like a yojimbo he's someone who's actually got nothing to live for that's why he's willing to kill himself so it's not glamorous or cool at all you feel really sorry for him typically what we see with like yojimbo and and maybe with like a zadoichi they're people who uh, exist in the same system of honor but they've chosen to be like fringe elements and go do shitty stuff. They're going to gamble and they're going to, you said it, just kill indiscriminately for for money, you know, whatever. Mm. But, they, but they don't have any honor. And this is the exact opposite. It's the people who usually have the honor having zero. And the, the person who's on the fringe here, this unemployed 
uh, ex Samurai Ronin, and uh, yeah, having to having to uphold the honor of his family, and and in turn having to murder. Yeah, and it's not like he's totally rejected the samurai code code either. I mean, he kind of openly acknowledges that it was unacceptable for his son-in-law to present himself um, and pretend that he wants to kill himself to get money. He's like, right. that, 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 that was definitely wrong. Um, and you get the feeling that had they allowed uh, the son-in-law to, to disembowel himself and to be beheaded without basically all of the really gratuitous cruelty, that he would have just accepted it and, and, and would have thought, well, that was the appropriate response. It's just the fact that they made him do it with a bamboo sword and then kind of laughed about it afterwards you know, yeah. it's that level of cruelty. He's like, there is a code and you've stepped outside of the code. And now I'm going to come and I'm going to find out what's happened. And I'm sure you like this element of it. He kind of Columbo's them. He pretends that he doesn't really <laughs> know what's happened. And then, haha. Thank you. He, yeah, I had to give that to you. And then he reveals, actually, I, I didn't really. I did know what happened. And he's my son-in-law. And I wasn't going to tell you that at the beginning and, until you'd let me know the true story. And then... It unfolds and he's reasonable. He just wants an apology. He wants them to acknowledge that they stepped out of the code and they won't do that. And then Yeah, he's like he's like, just admit you guys went overboard. Yeah. He's like, no, nope, no, nope, that was just fine. Yeah. He's totally reasonable actually, because he says at one point, um, you know, you did wrong. You have to acknowledge that you did wrong. And my son in law, he also did wrong. And if you just apologize, I'll kill myself and then I'll tell him that you said sorry. That's basically his plan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll just yeah. pass on the message. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Um, I have a great top six for you if you are ready for that. Okay, sure. All right. This is uh, mostly about uh, seppuku or harakiri. Um, this movie was actually originally called seppuku, but yeah. I don't know. I somehow I don't know where the harakiri comes from. That we that would be the English because it's not an English word. No. I mean, seppuku is the thing, so I don't know. Anyway, mm. um, your number one uh, question is, and this is a great one because this movie uh, is what made me even figure that out, and hopefully it, you did as well. Um, why did seppuku require a skilled swordsman to be your second? Hmm. Why did it? Okay, let me think about that. Well, I mean, it's within it's within the bounds of the story. You need someone to cleanly cut your head off isn't it and you need someone isn't it you need someone honorable and skilled to make sure that when you've died that you will then go to the i don't know the equivalent of heaven that they have see i always thought the same yeah and and, and it's mostly true and in fact i think that's the way it's always told mm. but in history you needed somebody who was going to kill you but not have your head get completely cut off they didn't want people's heads rolling across hmm. the floor they wanted to leave some skin and flesh there, so the head was chopped off, but it was still attached to the body. That way, the person's dead, and really, it's the stomach slashing that's letting your spirit out. So at this point, you're just taking away the misery. But also, they were very proper. They didn't want, you know, rolling heads and blood splurting everywhere, so you needed a very skilled swordsman that could cut off the head, mostly. That's fascinating. And you know, actually, that's cleared something up for me within the movie, because near the beginning of the film um where where master hikokoro beheads 
um i keep trying to get his name mitomi he tries to so that's the son-in-law he beheads right. him and actually within the film you see the sword stop and i thought it was a mistake so basically he goes in for the the strike and then the sword stops within the screen and now i realize that that isn't a mistake it's his it's this historical accuracy that runs all the way through the film which is that he hasn't just beheaded him he he's cut him enough that he's killed him but not so much that his head has rolled across the floor. No. So I think I think that's why. Cuz I thought it was yeah. I thought that was just a, a slightly poorly framed shot, but I don't I don't think so now you've said that. Yeah, I thought it was stylized, but I know exactly. I mean, that must have been what they were trying to put across because they brought up so many other things from history to make sure that this was, you know, pretty dead on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um I'm not giving you that one. Uh, I, I didn't because uh, of that that little extra, yeah. Um, number two, uh, women did get to uh, commit seppuku, but what did women have to do that was different from what men had to do? Huh. This is a really, it's a hard question. Yeah. But, you know, I just ask you yeah, to imagine, knowing what you know about, uh, I guess, Japanese customs, what do you think would be different? I want to say, I, I hope that you had to look these things up and that you didn't just know them off the top of your head. Oh, I, I tell you, I do not know any of these things. And I, if the if the roles were flipped, it yeah. would be miserable. Yeah. Okay, because you'd have to be a really twisted individual to have all this information to hand, wouldn't you? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or like you're really a, you know, nobody can be a historian about everything. I think uh, our last top six uh, that we did was for Z- Fight Zadoichi Fight. Yeah. And it was all about the diaper industry. So. Right, okay. That's... <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know a thing about them. I, I had, yeah, I had to use cloth diapers with my yeah. kid and uh, that was something altogether different. But, but this, yeah. Writing these is a learning curve for you, isn't it? You must be picking up a lot of information. It takes more time coming up with the top six than it does to do anything else around these podcasts. Mm. Mm. Okay, what did the women have to do? Um, yes. I They probably didn't have to disembowel themselves. I. Mm, what did they have to do? Maybe they had to slit their wrists. Oh, I like that. That it would be a slow way to go, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, so so what they call it is uh, jigai, and it begins with binding the body together in a specific pose with a rope to prevent an ugly death. Japanese women were required to be proper and beautiful at all times. Mm. Once properly bound, they take a very sharp knife and they slit the artery on the neck in one stroke. Ah, oh, okay. But you close because it wasn't the disembowelment. Yeah. So I I'm gonna have to say. You went with the, the wrists instead of the throat because the throat is kind of grotesque, but I'm going to give you that one. Um, it really was about not disemboweling. It was about, I thought it interesting that they had to stay beautiful, so they were tied together so they would stay in a beautiful pose. But yeah, then um, you said it. Because you couldn't have gotten the whole thing by guessing. So no. That's definitely fair. Well, thank you. That's very generous. Yeah. yeah. I was. It's interesting that the proper and beautiful, because another point of historical accuracy in the movie is that the, the young uh, wife... Um, Miho, she has to paint her teeth black. And I always wonder what that's all about. It's really pretty horrible. I read about that. They did it. It was, first off, it was very fashionable. Mm. But the lacquer they would use to paint the teeth would uh, stop. Um, well, first off, everyone thought it was beautiful. Like, it was like having some gorgeous thing in your mouth. Where, to us, within, in the age of meth heads, we're like, fuck. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You're like, gross. So, yeah. But, yeah, so... um it was that, and it kept uh, cavities away. This uh, this lacquer they would use was more or less laminating your teeth. Yeah. So 
but, but it, okay so you're keeping Very cavities away by painting your mouth as if you're just one big cavity <laughs> yeah. that's terrible it looks so bad at first i thought did they just get an actress that's like like <laughs> just doing the meth back then uh, you know yeah exactly uh, that was her method process she had to smoke meth for like <laughs> five minutes before they filmed before they filmed the movie oh yeah that okay. was awesome okay Okay, so um, this one is a multiple choice question. All right. The approximate date of the first documented case of seppuku. Oh, right. Uh... Oh, multiple choice. Okay, 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 okay. Go on. Okay, 4200 BC. All right. 876 BC. 1180 BC or 1500 BC. I'm going to go 1180 BC. You got it. Yes. <laughs> the first documented case of seppuku dates back to 1180 at that time, uh, Minamoto and Tierra clans were at war, and the, oh, sorry, Tyra. <laughs> Tyra decimated their foe. Uh, the leader of the clan saw his life crumbling around him. A warrior and poet, he would commit suicide rather than live a life of failure. So there, there it is. There you go. Wow. My, my psychic powers kicked in there. Yeah, that's two out of three. Nice. You're well on your way to winning. Wow. Um, let me go ahead and curse you right now. <laughs> Do your work. Okay. Uh, number four, were there female samurai? Huh. Well, I'm I'm going to say yes. Good for you. Do I need to justify um, you, that? You, you've never seen one in a movie, right? Like, I never have. Not, no, not in a period movie. No, I haven't. No, no. You're right. <laughs> We've seen hundreds of thousands of them in the modern day. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they were called the uh, Ana Bugisha, and it was a female warrior belonging to the Japanese nobility. And the women would engage in battle um, alongside mam- samurai men. So they would uh, they were part of the samurai class yeah. in feudal Japan, and uh, they used weapons to you know do the do the deeds. So, so were they were they classed as equal to the male samurai? Yes, they were. Well, at least in in history books, um, I'm sure you knowing what we know at the time, it was like. Psst. She doesn't have a penis. She's not going to be able to kill with that awesome exactly, sword. Yeah. yeah. Look at her pathetic sword that's so light. You know, she has to have a <laughs> right. pin sword. Oh. They were dainty. You know, and there you said, we go back to uh, question two, you know, one of this uh, Ona Bugisha, they were like, well, I want to commit seppuku. It's like, all right, well, let's tie you up so you look really pretty in your pose and then we'll slit your throat. And something I didn't mention earlier about that uh, Yigai, the um, female way of committing seppuku mm. is that unlike the male version which was pretty gory in its own but because of you know blood pressure and everything and hitting those uh yeah. arteries and then in the throat there was a it was like a tarantino film of mm. a blood spraying everywhere so yeah exactly so it wouldn't have been that pretty really no <laughs> it's like the illusion of pretty like oh well she looks really good right now and go <laughs> okay i'm out of here we yeah. got people to clean that up exactly all right well um so you've got three right yeah um out of six uh that means you're actually the winner wow but we're gonna we're gonna finish this off okay. um because you really just have to get three out of six uh, okay. i don't know why we came up with that rule okay i guess because they're also fucking hard yeah they are hard I'm lucky <laughs> so okay so number five hmm. what is the purpose of that top knot that uh that our man so uh, handsomely chopped off of those guys. What is the purpose of yeah. the top knot? Okay. Um, 
So clearly it's a symbol of honor. Um, is it? Is it... Oh, I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. If you want it, if you want it. No, go on. Go on. I want my life. Eaten. Okay. Tell me. Well, so when we did, um, maybe when we did Yojimbo or one of those, you had this question, no, Lee had this trivia question and it was you two um, talking about it. But I asked back then, um, why did the samurai shave their head mm. and have their hair the way it was? It wasn't about the top knot in particular, but this all ties together. The same reason. Is it, is it something to do with um, when, if they're beheaded, that their, their head can be lifted up? Is it no, something that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Listen, I need you to leave some hair at the top of your head because I want somebody to be able to hold this up <laughs> and taunt people with it. So, no, I. You know what? The funny thing was is I I expected you to ask me that question, and then I remembered that we'd have a we'd had a conversation about it previously, but I could not remember the result of the conversation. And short of going back and listening to all of the podcasts, right? there was no yeah. way for me to figure it out. So I I I uh, have to. I have to pass on that one. I have no no idea beyond what I've said. Well, it is called a mage, okay. and um, it was a method for samurai to keep their helmets straight. Yes, that's I remember this now. Yeah, yeah. So the question before about why they shaved their heads was about so their helmet wouldn't get like I guess overly full of big bushy Japanese hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, in this case, it's a little further than that. The the knot would sit right in the middle of the helmet and stop it yeah. from sliding forward or back or yeah. side to side, yeah. And I think when you when you ask why do they shave the head, I have a feeling that Lee answered it's so that you cannot lift the head up when they've been beheaded or something like that. Uh-huh. I think that's where I got that from. Definitely. Yeah, he said something, you know, he went to the 300 like he does, and he started talking about, like, what the Greeks did or the Roman soldiers or something like that. Mm. And maybe it was about lice. But I like your answer, actually. I mean, I wish that were the case. Yeah. You just hold them up by their knot. Yes! My head! <laughs> All right. Your last question. In, number six. Uh, in what country... So this was like a desperate question. Like, at this point, if you were still in the running, mm. it was just... I was going. In what country did the oil paper umbrella originate? And it's a multiple choice. Okay. Of China, Japan, Korea, or Italy. Italy. Yeah. I, I threw that one in to fool you, but it's actually China. Ah, okay. I was sucking. Yeah, you know, I was just like, I was like, if I just do all Asian countries, he'll probably guess, and it, it wouldn't be Japan because I'm asking the question. Mm. You'd probably go to China since it's the only other, like, well, I shouldn't say only, but, you know, it's a very ancient culture that has definitely had a lot to, to do to influence Jap- Japan and, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I threw in Italy to be cruel and you would have lost and this this would have been like right at that moment I'd be feeling really good about myself yeah. right now. Too, too little, too late. That I beat you. Yeah. Because yeah. I really do. I set out to beat you. Yes. Um, and not let you win. But you won. Congratulations. Thank you. Stephen Chow. Thank you, sir. You are top six champion of the uh, Harakiri episode. It's, uh, it's a very proud moment in my life. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's the best score I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Mm. And those were really hard questions. I, know. I mean, I don't know, with the women committing seppuku, if I had to just guess, oh man, I would have I would have thought about the prettiness and like, I guess I probably would have said something like they would have had to have been fully made up, you know, or something like that, yeah. which would have been, would have gone into the beautiful part, but I wouldn't have thought about not disemboweling mm-hmm. how that do you know actually um and you can believe me or not i i my first instinct was slit that slitting their throats and then i changed my mind 
Yeah, that's awesome. I do believe you. <laughs> why? Why lie? Why lie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So the oil paper umbrellas. I started doing a bunch of research on that just to see if I could formulate questions out of it. And the only thing I got from it, and I'll just throw this out there, um, they're used for everything. Like they're used as dowries, as gifts. Um, you, in Japan, they have like all these different colors, and the color of the umbrella you have tells about who you are. So, mm. like ge- geisha will have like a like a bullseye looking thing, and Old men have a blue one. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff. But um, did I pull this here? Maybe I didn't. Um, It's interesting that they dry bamboo and, you know, they get the paper and they dry all that out. And then they, you know, they soak it so it's uh, malleable and then they they cover it all. But this was cool. They cover it all in, um, like, wax to make it waterproof. Yeah. It's sort of the original umbrella. Yeah, they look very cool. And they look very good in cocktails as well. They sure do. They My do. favorite type is uh, <laughs> hanging out of a, a nice fancy drink that I can throw my pinky up in. Precisely. Yeah. All right. Well, let me know um, what's going on in the world of Stephen Chow. Oh, well, um, as you know, with Attack on Movies, we've been um, running our new podcast, The Film Connection, where we take uh, two movies that have something in common um and just kind of talk about them one after another and use them for comparison and it's kind of fun and it's very eclectic um we're still trying to do the video reviews i haven't done one in a while but we will do and we've got the guide as well which is a movie a to z and it really encapsulates absolutely everything there's nothing that won't be included in there so you know aside from um thoroughly enjoying these these conversations with you um that's what's happening right now that's no, fantastic. I've enjoyed the heck out of them, um, of, of all, everything that Attack on Movies creates. Um, what is your next uh, episode that we can look forward to? Okay, that's an interesting one, actually. I've I've started um, opening sort of an extra segment on the website to do with indie movies. And so there's this guy called Shane McGoey who's made a film called People, which will be available, I think, on May the 1st on Amazon and iTunes and all those sort of streaming services. And basically, I, I've revu- reviewed the movie um, in in our indie section, but I'm also going to do a film connection with him. So I'm going to interview him with regard to his movie, and then we're going to talk about uh, a film that he loves and that influenced the film, which is Faces, which is a John Cassavetes a film, which actually I haven't seen. So I'm going to watch it tomorrow and then interview the guy and talk mm-hmm. about one of his favorite movies and, and hopefully we'll have that up on sunday or monday um that should be fun and actually the day after that i'm i'm doing one on disney and ghibli so we're going to be talking to about um the jungle book and princess mononoke so we're going to talk about basically the podcast is going to be called ghibli versus disney so that should be fun too oh yeah well that's brilliant um you know i feel like the the rift uh between you know the hollywood blockbuster or whatever it might be and indie movies has become so huge at this point that uh, anything we can do there to get more indie films you know watched and out there is freaking awesome yeah there's a lot of talent out there and you don't need a hundred million dollars to make a a good movie you know you just need an idea and a bit of support right and you know like historically um so many uh fantastic movies um are, are out there and you know people get their start they make something indie, they make it beautiful, and uh, it never quite compares um, 
or I should say, they end up at doing uh, these big blockbusters, and it's never quite uh, the same again. So we catch these things. It's like you know you're getting the first look into someone's brain where they get all this stuff out and uh, they make something beautiful, and uh, we're catching them before Hollywood can suck them up because everybody wants success, right? Yeah. And they all want the budgets to do the movies that they dream about. Mm. But it seems to me, you know, think of like a think of a, a, a dead alive kind of thing versus lord of the rings you know yeah that kind of thing i I love them both but there's something about dead alive that'll always be in my heart yeah exactly and uh he's never been the same since lord uh well it's not lord of the yeah since lord of the rings he's never quite bounced back from that has he no no and then how about evil dead 2 versus uh spider-man or something you know yeah it's they're these little pieces in time that they're just so wonderful and they they mean so much to so many people Mm. and i want all of these uh directors and movie make filmmakers to become super successful and have all of their dreams come true but i'm glad for these like and these opening moments in a lot of these careers we get to see such awesome stuff well exactly because they're they're working without They've got sort of financial restriction, but they've got no creative restriction. They can basically do whatever they want. And it's always that dichotomy, isn't it, between having lots of money but not having freedom to do what you want and being able to do whatever you want but not having any money. And it's very difficult to know which side of the fence you really, really want to be on. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I look forward to recording it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, This was a lot of fun to watch again, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, the next one we do.